This episode of Sleep Apnea Stories is sponsored by Inspire. If you listen to the podcast, you know that many people struggle to get used to CPAP. Inspire is helping sleep apnea patients who struggle with CPAP get the sleep they need to live the life they want. Inspire is a small device that works inside your body. There's no mask and no hose. While you sleep, Inspire sends a gentle pulse to your tongue to keep the airway clear so you can breathe normally. See if you qualify at InspireSleep.com. Inspire is not for everyone. Talk to your doctor to see if it's right for you and review important safety information at InspireSleep.com. On this podcast, we discuss medical diagnoses and procedures. All of the guests express their own opinions You should always seek medical advice from a trained and credentialed professional when making decisions about your own health. Welcome to the Sleep Apnea Stories podcast. I'm Emma Cooksey, and I've been coping with sleep apnea since childhood. I didn't know anyone in my life with a sleep disorder, so I decided to start this podcast. I'm here to build community and provide a platform for people with sleep apnea to tell their stories. Together, we can shatter stereotypes and raise awareness. We'll be exploring all sorts of treatment options and lifestyle choices to help you live your best life with sleep apnea. This is Sleep Apnea Stories, and I'm so glad you're here. Hey everyone, it's Emma Cooksey here and I'm your host. So a little mini update for me before we get started with today's um, conversation. Um, I have been doing palate expansion with Vivo Suppliances that I've kind of talked a little bit on the podcast about. Um, And so I've been doing that for about a year and we've now got to the point I'm using an mRNA appliance and it's doing expansion, but then it also acts as a mandibular advancement device. And so if you remember when we talk about oral appliance therapy or mandibular advancement devices, um, those are usually recommended for mild or moderate um, sleep apnea. And this, um, we've kind of gotten to the point where I'm using my CPAP, I've been using my CPAP the whole time, um, every night for 14 years. And this last little while, I've been using it together with um, this appliance from Vivos, which is um, expanding my palate, but also holding my jaw forward. This last um, sort of maybe couple of months, I've just noticed a really big improvement in my sleep quality. I just feel a lot better. And I was still having a lot of residual um, sleepiness during the day, but that seems to be improving some. And then also my CPAP was showing much lower um, AHIs. Um, I was at my dentist today and we decided to do a couple of um, nights of a home sleep test so that we can see whether the um, mandibular advancement device, also called neural appliance, um, to see whether that's controlling my AHI low enough that I could stop using my CPAP and just be using this um, mandibular advancement device. So that's what I'm doing the next couple of nights. So we'll see how it goes. So it's kind of an interesting phase I'm in because I'm really used to my CPAP by this point, but um, hopefully we'll see that um, it's my AHI is low enough that I can maybe you know, stop using my CPAP and still have my sleep apnea treated. So on to today's guest. Today I'm joined by Matt Horsnell. He's a father of three, living with type 1 narcolepsy with cataplexy and obstructive sleep apnea. So before his diagnosis, Matt pursued an undergraduate degree at Belmont University in exercise science and health promotion. He serves as a facilitator for Wake Up Narcolepsy online small groups, and his advocacy focuses on narcolepsy and mental health awareness. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Matt Horsnell. 
Matt, like, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. So I have been telling everybody that I was the first person with sleep apnea to do the Rising Voices uh, speaker training program. But that's not true because you have sleep apnea and you have done the Rising Voices speaker training program. So, I, that's true. Apologies. Um, you know, I will allow you to take that. I actually call myself the world's strongest person having narcolepsy with cataplexy. And I know full well that Josh Andrews is probably stronger than me. So, you know, it's, I'm just going to go out and say that, you know, for marketing purposes, you, you say whatever you need to. Right. And also to, to, to your credit, you, you did the program and are advancing sleep apnea in a way that, that I never thought possible through the program. You know, I, I was viewing it through a lens of narcolepsy. That was my, my first diagnosis back when I was about 25, about seven years later, um, I had a confirmation diagnosis of severe obstructive sleep apnea. So I I lived part of my narcolepsy journey without those answers. Um, And, you know, I, I went back for some more, some more help because I realized that I wasn't getting, um, the relief that I needed with with the medication and um you know I, I was okay. in that console yeah we're gonna get to it Matt okay we're all right, gonna all right. start way back way back all so right let's go do you want to start with I don't know people start at different points in their journey but like um did you notice anything about your sleep as a child is that a good place to start yeah no that's a great great point just so from the perspective of like my mom she always talks about how she would find me asleep everywhere. Um, never really required much, uh, much prompting. We'd go out to a family get together at about seven thirty or eight. I would be asleep in a corner somewhere. Um, I don't know if it was truly um, debilitating or started to influence like my day to day activities. I can I look back and I say about twelve. Um, that was when I was in middle school, and my routine every day was to wake up, take a shower, eat breakfast, take a nap on the couch have my mom usher me to the car, take a nap in the car, make it for a couple classes, take a nap, you know, fall asleep in school, um, maybe two naps, come home in the afternoon, take a nap after school, and then go to bed at about 8.30. Um, I didn't realize that this was problematic because there was other kids sleeping in class. I also didn't want to out myself to my parents. So I look back in the, the middle school age was about where the symptom onset really started to interfere with my day. So did your, did your parents notice anything or, or you just were kind of trying to hide it because you thought there was something not right about that? A little bit of both. I, I think they always presumed I was a long sleeper and some of it was dismissed because of that. Um, you know, I, I complained a lot to my mom about not being able to get good sleep at night. And that was something that I, I had was kind of later on had trouble coming to grips with. That's actually what narcolepsy was. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of it was I didn't want to out myself for taking naps in school. Academically, I didn't suffer too much. I wasn't top of my class by any means, but I wasn't struggling um, to keep up with the course load, even with the naps. Um, so I think it was a matter of them noticing a little bit. It was also the increase in symptoms kind of coincided with my parents getting a divorce. So I was kind of in, in a split household situation. We had somebody picking me up after school and they were a younger person. They weren't necessarily communicating with my, with my mom that I was taking a nap. They, nobody saw the full picture except for right. me. I guess in that s- scenario, like the other parent is like, wow, they must just not have been sleeping at the other at the other parent's house or something yeah well I've got a younger brother um by about three years and he uh, on the like complete polar opposite he doesn't sleep that much he's a short duration sleeper sometimes he has some long bouts of sleep but he would be up all night and so I think there was some kind of assumption that I too was awake at night when in reality come about 8 30 my head was hitting the pillow and I was out cold um he would be staying up late reading books um you Hmm. know just uh, absorbing knowledge and I'd be just kind of completely asleep. So yeah, it wasn't, nobody saw the full impact and, you know, I kind of meandered through high school socially. I was not, um, not that active. You know, I I had played sports in rec leagues beforehand. Um, I started lifting when I was about the same time that I I was starting to experience symptoms as a way to, you know, I'm, I may, may be wide, but I'm not tall. And so I tried to, at the time, I tried to, to, to put on some strength and muscle to, 
to level the playing field in, in middle school and high school. Um, so. Today, I'm joined by one of our sponsors of the podcast, Kelly with Airway Management, the manufacturer of TAP Sleep Care. How's it going, Kelly? Hey, Emma. It's great. Happy to be here. The MyTap doesn't involve lengthy custom fitting, right? Somebody can actually order that and do the fitting part themselves. That's right. The MyTap can be fit by both doctors and patients. It's available through traditional CPAP channels such as CPAP.com and Apria Direct. So if people want to learn more, where can they go? They can visit tapintosleep.com to find a provider near them, or they can fill out our get started form on our website um, and get connected with someone on our team. Thanks so much, Kelly. Well, thank you, Emma. Thanks for having me. You know, all of this wasn't really didn't really start to truly become debilitating. I think until um, till right at the end of high school and college is when I started to be like, you know, something's really not right, and that's yeah. when I started seeking answers from the doctors. So, when did you first? Do you remember when you first went to the doctor to ask about? So, it yeah. wasn't with your pediatrician when you were younger. It, it was right at that cusp. So, I, okay. I talked to my pediatrician um, at about fifteen or sixteen. And I, I was like, I'm just, I'm really sleepy a lot. Um, it was at the time dismissed as you were sleepy because you were depressed. You know, parents are divorced. You're going through a tough time. You're growing, you know, you have yeah. all these reasons, but I was never able, you know, it was, it was an intimidating back and forth. You, you're talking to the doctor, they're asking questions, but you don't truly learn how to advocate for yourself. It's, it's right. something you have to teach yourself or have someone show you how yes. to do over time. So I would, I would ask him, you know, he, he asked me to do some, lifestyle interventions funny he, he said you need to be more physically active and at that time I was already lifting like three or four times a week and was yeah. you know playing basketball most days after school so the so you're kind of uh, thinking how much more physically active could I be <laughs> exactly and, and I would tell them and and again I wasn't keeping a sleep diary and you know I would kind of just take what they said as a gospel you know it's the truth yeah. uh, you know I've I, I must be doing something wrong um so from there to my um, internal medicine doctor, when I was in, in college, I, was, I would ask the same questions. I'm really sleepy. Um, about that time, one of my doctors recommended me to a psychiatrist because we had tried a few antidepressants. None were working. Um, that was they... going to be my next question, because I feel yeah. like so many people with on this journey um, kind of go and, and they're told by the doctor, you know, either there's nothing wrong with your sleep or, you know, it's not worth investigating. And so oftentimes people then just, you know, go down the route of like, there must be a mental health element and, and treat that kind of thing. Yeah. And um, uh, again, I probably was a little bit depressed. Yeah. I, don't, I don't look back. I don't doubt that. I understand yeah. why they made those assumptions. Yeah. Same, same um, as me. Yeah. And so one of the things that they prescribed was a, a medication that later I found out to be known as an off-label use for cataplexy, um, name effects her. Um, I was also identified because I complained about having trouble paying attention in class and that, you know, I was drifting. It was sleepiness that was causing me to drift, but I identified it as attention deficit. So they prescribed me a low grade stimulant um, okay. that was sufficient for ADD. Um, but what that did was it kind of masked what was truly going on with me. And so I wasn't getting enough relief to be functional in life. Um, mm. I was making do. I mean, I, I was, I had hacked, nap hacked my way through college. So I was taking strategic naps without even realizing that's what I was doing. It was yeah. just how I survived. Um, and, you know, I, I started to really excel in academics in college. I made the dean's list for, for five semesters and was, was really, um, really going strong. Um, and then found out that um, in the meantime, I had met my, you know, my high school sweetheart uh, and I had become pregnant with our firstborn. And at that point I needed to get, get a job, started working. 
but I, I wasn't able to keep up with the, with the stress of life. And so I kept searching answers I went through four different psychiatrists during that time. And again, it was changed meds, always kind of stay on, you know, a low grade stimulant. And then the effects are maybe add a few antidepressants here and there, but there wasn't any real relief. Mm -hmm. Um, I was working 40, sometimes as many as 55 hours per week. And I was crashing at home. I couldn't spend time with my child. I was like, this is supposed to be a wonderful enriching time. Obviously there's a lot of stress with being a parent, but I wasn't feeling that. I was just sick with exhaustion. Yeah. Um, and, and ultimately it was actually the thought that I had sleep apnea that led me to take, have an appointment with the sleep doctor. And so I, I made that appointment. And so where, where came. had you heard of sleep apnea that, at that point mm-hmm. you had, I had, so my, my, my grandfather had sleep apnea. I always remember his CPAP beside his bed. Um, my mom had sleep apnea. Um, she w- rather, I'll say diminutive because she's she's intellectually uh you know and and just a just, titan she's one of my yeah she's my juggernaut she, <laughs> yeah. she was yeah unstoppable force uh in my life but she had it and so I I made the assumption oh well, I must have it too I yeah. put on a few pounds at that point in time um and so you know I went made an appointment took it upon myself um I had really lousy insurance and went ahead and just made that appointment he gave me a very extensive questionnaire. Um, and during, as we were going over those notes in, in my first intake, um, he, he actually said, time out, I need to bring in a guy who's a fellow because he needs to hear what you have to say. And I was like, okay, this is strange. Um, number one, he spent like 15 minutes with me at that point, which is longer than most doctors yeah. have taken. And he wanted to bring in somebody else. And so he started asking me these questions about, um, it, was, it was more about like my clumsiness and you know, my, my head bobs and then the drop, you know, the, the weak knees um, and, and things that I'd never really related to sleep, um, which is ironic. I had actually known about narcolepsy in high school. I learned about it in a psych class in college. I, I oh, learned about it in lab psych. And I actually knew somebody when I worked in a pharmacy um, in college that had it very, very pronounced case of, um, of narcolepsy with cataplexy. But I, I never saw that. Um, and, and for years, I kind of beat myself up about that. But at the end of the day, the doctors didn't see it either. So, you know, it's, it's not, yeah. I'm not a medical professional. So I did yeah. give myself some grace. But yeah, definitely. As I was answering the questions, um, he went through, he asked a lot. He was, he was kind of talking to the fellow. Um, and he, at the end, he said, Matt, you know, we have to go through a PSG and an MSLT. But if I was a betting man, I would say that you had narcolepsy with cataplexy. Um, and, and I almost dismissed when he said that because it sounded so incongruent with what I thought narcolepsy was. You know, yes. I'd seen it portrayed in media. Um, you know, I had learned about it in school. I saw somebody at the pharmacy who could barely stand up yes. you when know, he was coming in and he couldn't drive. And I was like, that's not me. Right. Um, when I, when I went back, we had to go to the library back then because the internet was not quite there, but I started reading about it and I was like, wow, this, this could be me. So just to go back really quick, just because I like everything to be accessible for people who know nothing. Um, yeah. So PSG would be a polysomnogram. So Correct. that's an overnight sleep study. And then you did the MLST? MSLT. So MSLT, I was going yeah. So yeah. can you explain a little bit about that test? That's the one where you take naps during the day. Do you want to just explain to yeah. people? So a lot of people yeah. listening are only familiar with sleep apnea and might not know what that is. So thank you. Thank you for asking for clarification. Um, so the MSLT is a series of five naps taken throughout the day. It can be four naps depending on how, how well you do. Um, but you take a nap every two hours um, for 15 minutes or after you go into REM. Um, with the thought being that a normal REM cycle will not engage that quickly. If you go into REM sleep and that's rapid eye movement sleep and two of the naps, um, you will be diagnosed with narcolepsy, but it has to be under eight minutes. So for three, I went into REM sleep. Um, I went to sleep in all of them. Um, two of them, one of which was under three minutes, another one was under two. So it was a pretty instantaneous, it's not the quickest I've ever heard, but it it was a pretty clear cut case yeah. um, of narcolepsy. And so I, I remember sitting there, um, you know, I, I, he told me this probably what it was. He needed to go through the results. And then I got the phone call about a day later 
you know, that Matt, this is indeed narcolepsy with cataplexy. Please stop by the office and pick up a prescription. And, you know, we're going to make an appointment to come back and see you in about a month. So tell me what, what did the PSG test, the polysomnogram test show? Did that pick up sleep apnea at that point or no? It, it was, he, did, he deemed it mild clinically significant sleep apnea. And so okay. I think my AHIs um, were, were between five to 10. Um, okay. A little bit closer to 10, but it wasn't enough to cause that pronounced level of sleepiness. Yes. And I believe at the time it was more positional. Okay. So the, and, and again, this is something that, that I've learned over time, you know, specialists see things that, that they're trained to see. He was actually, he was a rare psychiatrist that was uh, board certified in sleep. Um, he had a, comp, a very, very in-depth understanding of neurochemistry and his, of, of the brain. And so he saw narcolepsy right away. Um, yeah. There was sleep apnea, but it wasn't enough, in his opinion, to treat it. Um, right. Had I gone to a sleep pulmonologist, it may have been a different answer. I may not have even gotten the, the, the full narcolepsy diagnosis right. at that point in time. Plus, I think sometimes with doctors, I mean, understandably, he's thinking, well, if this person has narcolepsy with cataplexy, we've got to get, you know, like, that's almost the, the thing that takes the precedence because, you know, we've got to get, you know some medications going that can help with that so like yeah. I kind of get it but that's quite interesting that that showed up at that point yeah and you know it the words insignificant like resonated deeply I was like oh okay I don't it's not even a big deal yeah um and and as far as the cataplexy goes to your point it was a huge deal because yes. literally within a month after my diagnosis I had fallen down some stairs from a cataplexy episode and broken my leg and so I just got this diagnosis I had just broken my leg in three places and it was a really really low spot for me. Um, can you explain cataplexy to people who aren't really familiar with that yeah so cataplexy um it it, it looks different in different people but it's all an involuntary loss of muscle tone associated with an emotional response um so it can be either full body like in the example of me falling down the steps um i slipped but that triggered a fear response because i would have been able to catch myself under most cases um but that fear caused me to collapse and i fell on top of my leg full weight um the most debilitating part of cataplexy for me is the slurred speech and then the the flat affect the slack jaw the kind of the head, the head bobs, particularly when I start to get sleepy and my, my emotions are right there just under my skin. Yeah. Um, knee buckles. I have, um, oh, I call it dropsies of the hand. Um, so normally I can capable of picking up pretty substantial weight, but I will drop something that it's relatively light and it's not because mm. it slips. I like literally my hand can't hold that. Yeah. And it, so I've got a protective case on my phone um, <laughs> for that reason, because it happens so frequently yeah um so thank you for explaining that because i think cataplexy is one of those things i think that um you know the the idea of like your knees buckling or something people can kind of get that but i think like for it just really depends on the person right there's such a wide range of experiences yeah it, it really does um the just depends on the person for the most part cases like an episode will last about 30 seconds to a minute at the most there's some very extreme varieties that are basically recurrent cataplexy episodes that can last throughout the day um that that's not a a common occurrence so you're right it it, what what cataplexy is for me is not necessarily what it is for everybody so it's very important that if you notice those losses of muscle tone if you if people comment about you know a, a sword speech or a slack jaw and you do have sleepiness that's important to note cataplexy yeah. only occurs in narcolepsy so that's that's the the, the kicker so if the doctor sees an example of cataplexy hears about that they should focus their attention on narcolepsy. yeah um so tell us about so you got your diagnosis and so you said there was a disparity between what you thought cataplexy or or narcolepsy was and the fact that you could actually have it. Um, yeah. So what did they say about treatment at that point? So treatment at that point w- was going to be a stimulant, much higher dose than what I, I had been on. Um, at the time, the, the drug, the, the kind of first line treatment was modafinil. It was a little cost prohibitive. Um, and I had very poor insurance at the time. And so the, we 
when I went to the pharmacy and they said it was $500, I called my doctor and said, yeah, we're going to need to find something else. Yeah. It's since gone substantially down and it's more, more accessible. But so they went to um, an amphetamine salt and Adderall formulation as, as a treatment. He mentioned this drug called sodium oxidate, which I'd actually heard of because when I worked in the pharmacy, I'm kind of a nerd. I did like all the CE credits and the, and the magazines they sent. And I read about Xyrome. I knew what it was. Um, even though I, I didn't ever think that I would one day take it. And so I had yeah. some concerns about what, what taking that drug would mean. Um, I ended up getting on Xyrom about a year and a half later when I realized that it was what I needed to function. So that's that a drug um, that you take at night. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. so, okay, to keep you asleep, essentially. Yeah. So if for, for narcolepsy, there, there's five symptoms. Excessive daytime sleepiness is one that we all experience. Um, sleep paralysis isn't something that anybody in the population can experience. It's where you can't move after you wake up. So you become conscious and aware, but you physically are still you're paralyzed. Yeah. It's a, 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 just a, a malfunction in that um, paralysis process. Um, you have hypnagogic and hypnopompic hallucinations, which are visual, auditory, or tactile that either happen as you're going to sleep or as you're becoming awake. I have those as well. Um, and you also have um, cataplexy, potentially about two-thirds of people with narcolepsy have cataplexy and then disrupted nighttime sleep. And so that kind of sits at the, at the heart of what narcolepsy, what, what causes narcolepsy. Yeah. So, so what did your life look like, like in that period when you're trying to get the, the drugs sorted out, like on the right medications for you? Like, were you able to work? Like what was happening? Yeah. Yes and no. Um, I wasn't able to work to my fullest ability. Um, I, I I'm still not, um, you know, I, I wish I could paint a picture that medications make everything better, but, but yeah. truly they just address the symptoms. Um, right. so what I realized is that I had to redefine what success looked like. I wanted to be a physical therapist. I had the grades to get in. I had preliminary acceptance um, to, to get into PT school, a doctorate program. I was, I was excited about starting that chapter of my life. I had this perspective on what my life would be like, and I had to grieve those lost dreams. But what I learned was I could now redefine myself. I could yes. become something bigger um, and, and better than what I had thought possible, different. Um, and so I was like, I got to be the best dad possible because I have my wakefulness is, is, is reduced. I need to maximize my time with my kids. That's my priority. So I did that. I would, was working part time um, and it, it was a roller coaster. Um, a lot of ups and downs, a lot of um, overexerting myself only yes. to feel the slam down effect that took place after pushing myself. Um, about three years post-diagnosis, we lost everything in the flood in Nashville in 2010. And it, that set back my kind of my care too, because now there was a trauma element added to my life. And the trauma, of course, is a huge emotional response. Yes. So that fed the, the symptoms being manifested greatly. So it was, an, it was a rough time. I mean, I, I was not, I was not the, the husband I should have been. I was not the father that I should have been. I was not the brother that I should have been. I'm putting all that in quotation marks because yeah. I was doing the best I could, yes. but I wasn't meeting my expectations. And, and again, that was why I had to redefine what success looked like. And thank you for talking about that because I feel as though, I feel as though oftentimes so many people with sleep disorders struggle with a mental health element that goes along with that. Like I've struggled with anxiety and depression, like pretty much this whole time, you know, but it was so much worse, you know, in when, before I had my diagnosis, before I really knew what I was doing, like it just, it's really challenging and just trying to hold down a job, any job, you know, like, uh, when you're so tired that you you just are struggling to stay awake it's a really challenging challenging time i think that it's really easy for me to compare myself to some we both share a, a role model in this field julie um and you know she was the first person i reached out to when, oh when gosh I started, don't compare yourself yeah. to julie well i know <laughs> I, well, that's that's what i had to and she she actually helped help me wrap my mind around that and i was like you know i kind of want to be like the next julie and 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 she was like oh no no, no, there's enough of me to go around. I, I know the, the world needs the first Matt Horsnell in C. Yes. And when, when she said that it, it resonated and I realized that 
I, I can't I can't duplicate what she's done. But what I can do is I can I can do what I do best and I yes. can sit at the intersection of the different communities. Yeah. You know, I, I try to combine, um, you know, my experiences as a, kind of a, an advocacy, both as a narcolepsy patient, a sleep apnea patient, um, policies, so legislative purposes, which, yeah. which Julie's helped me guide research. I, I work in for, for a for-profit company that, that does social listening. And then, you know, with, between support with my small group works and, and industry, um, you know, working with pharma, a lot. You know, I, I just, yeah, I try to, absor- I try yeah. to absorb a little bit of everything, but I, I try to be the best me I can be. And again, that starts at, am I being the best dad that I can be um, yeah. right now? Um, you know, I, I don't want to gloss over that part of my life, but I, we went through, I went through a divorce. I was a primary mm-hmm. pick, like, parent for my three kids for, for about four years. Um, now I've got a wonderful partner who's a licensed professional counselor who she allows me to be the best dad I can be by supporting me and understanding what that's like. Um, and so it's, it's been a journey. There was a lot of falling flat on my face and having yeah. to dust myself up off and, and get moving again. So tell us um, when, when does sleep apnea become part of the story? So you were on the medications for narcolepsy and you were kind of struggling through. And then mm-hmm. when did you realize that sleep apnea could be part of what's going on? So we, we hit a point where we were increasing dose, you know, it's a lot, mo- the medications that you take you tend to have to increase the dose over time. And, and I had maxed out what was, was safe and healthy. Um, and I was still experiencing very pronounced debilitating sleepiness so at that time, the point where I couldn't work. Um, I, I was very, I just wasn't well. Um, yeah. then the depression kicked in, the anxiety was overwhelming in part due to some yes. of the medications. Um, and so I went by that time, my first doctor had retired and I was going to a new doctor and, um, you know, I go to, to meet her, of course, on top, I was still working out pretty much this whole time. And I made the joke in my first appointment with this new doctor that, you know, I love to work out. You know, I decided that, you know, the rock didn't have a neck and so neither did I. And she goes, Whoa, time out, time out. And she goes, that sounds like a horrible idea. And I was like, well, it's too late because that's gone. And so she, she was a neurologist. She did a, a neck circumference measurement. She checked down my pipes and she goes, um, we're going to need you to come in and do another, another study. She asked some questions about, um, by that time, my, uh, my kid's parent mom wasn't living in the same house. And so I didn't know that I was snoring. Right. Um, and I, nobody I to observe it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it, it was a case of going in um, and I knew when she started asking those questions, I was like, this, of course, this is what it is. You know, I've put, I put on about 20 or 30 pounds um, since diagnosis. Um, I, I was starting to, you know, it, it answered all the questions and of course went in and by that time it had developed into to severe obstructive sleep apnea. That was seven years after the narcolepsy. Okay. And I, what did you think? Um, I was like, well, crap this is another one off the, you know, I had been diagnosed with ROS and narcolepsy initially. And I was like, Oh, great. Another one. Um, and you know, I, I kind of started to feel a little sorry for myself, you know? Um, yeah. but I, I, I also can. knew I had this, you know, my mom used the CPAP. She was compliant with her device. She felt relief from it. And so when someone offered me an assistive device that could help me, you know, breathe, because, you know, breathing is important. Um, breathe when I'm sleeping and, and get me more improved sleep quality, you know, I knew that that was something that I was going to have to embrace. And yeah. literally from, from, I don't want to say from day one, cause I know it was an adjustment for about a week or two <clears throat> getting used to the device. But once I started to see some resolution of some of that extreme sleepiness to where I couldn't function hardly at all, yeah. I was like, okay, I got this. And um, I, I joke with my doctor about getting, you know, 100% compliance scores on, you know, as, as much as possible. Um, oh my so gosh, you're like me. <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, I took, I take pride in using my CPAP. You know, I, I have a position now where I work from home. I'm able to take naps throughout the day as I need to, to function. And, yeah. and CPAP's a part of that. Um, and it's, it's been a huge benefit to my, my quality of life. Um, I went from being mostly out of it um not able to to meet yeah. my you know activities of daily living 
being a dad was virtually uh, was limited to these windows throughout the day yeah. and to, to, to now I could actually at least function a little bit better um, and I had also developed type 2 diabetes um, that was diagnosed about a year after the sleep apnea um, and so it was with with the device, with the help of some diet and exercise interventions, I, I, my blood sugar is now under control and I, I don't have to take any meds. Oh, that's good. But I, you can see it was so, you know, for, that's what I'm so glad that you're doing what you're doing because, you know, sleep sits at the intersection of every major system in the body. When yeah. you disrupt sleep, you have cardiovascular, you have endocrine issues, you've got yep. sexual dysfunction issues. You have so many things that, that happen, you know, you're looking Alzheimer's down the road from disrupted sleep yeah and the work to help raise awareness you know sleep apnea is the, the most common um sleep disorder that that I know of and so to to bring awareness about that's essential and how many people out there have it and don't realize that so that many there people is some relief yeah yeah um and so how long ago did you start CPAP so that would have been 2014 so it's been right around right at eight years now Okay. And so how is life now that you've kind of come through? Like, I, I don't expect you to be like, it's all super rosy and everything's perfect. But like, compared with before your original diagnosis with narcolepsy, like, how has your life changed? Um, it's exponentially improved. Um, and, and you're right. It, I will never wake up and feel rested between the combination of the different sleep disorders. Yeah. That's not a realistic expectation. Yeah. Um, I found purpose in having a sleep disorder. So I, I really struggled with feeling beat up by, by sleep all the time. And, and I had to have a paradigm shift after my divorce. And I was like, I need to make this work for me. May not be able to make yeah. money off of these, but I've been able to carve out a place. I've been able to carve out my new community. You know, I, yeah. I facilitate small groups twice per week. Um, the, that's some of the highlights of my week is connecting and how people engage and find solutions for, for living with sleep disorders. Um, I now work a flexible full-time position. I, I work as a consultant with, uh, you know, a sleep wearable app um, that, that helps with actigraphy. You know, I, I, I do work for pharma companies. I get to travel and go to conferences. All of that is exceptionally challenging. And there's some yes. days when I just don't want to get up and go, but it's easier. My, my foot hits the floor in the morning and whereas before, you know, that may or may not have happened. That may have been me rolling out of bed and just having to circle back and go back to into the bed to, to retreat. Yeah. Those days are few and far between now. Um, it's, like you say, it's not rosy. Um, and if you ask my family, my daughters, um, you know, I've had to apologize, particularly to them because they're, they're teenagers now, you know, for, for daddy being cranky. Um, you know, daddy, sorry that he said that. This is how we should have handled it. This wasn't you. Yeah. He was reacting from a place of exhaustion, having a partner that supports me. So yeah, it's it's gone from being what I, I thought would have was a life sentence to kind of being miserable. Um, to to where now I can go. Okay, I, I'm empowered. I can help change the landscape of the sleep community. I can. I do have to choose to get up and be active every day. Um, so there's some choices I can make, but the medication has improved. Um, the, the support is now great. You know, we've got patient advocates like yourself, um, just spread across the country, helping raise awareness. And it's, it, it really feels like it's a great time to be a part of this sleep movement because we're being heard. Yep. When I got started back in, in 2018, it, it wasn't like this, you know, the, the, the pace that is, that is accelerated over the past four years, there's opportunities to share. Yeah. There's engagement. There's um, when you and I got to, to be at the sleep conference together. And, you know, I, I, I loved seeing your content because you're interacting with physicians as equals. Yeah. You know, I got to, to take way more selfies than I thought I, I, I should have, but uh, you know, with, with these physicians, but they were happy to connect and they wanted yeah. to hear what I had to say. And that, that's a huge sign that, that they're starting to pivot to having the patient voice being heard. Yeah, I love that. That's like meeting you at the sleep conference was one of the main highlights for me. Likewise. And just hearing you talk about how you sort of had to switch your mindset towards like, how can I make this work for me? 
I relate so much to that. I feel like my whole life, I was kind of like pushing against something and just, you know, and then it's like when I decided to kind of be like, let me do a podcast and, you know, start doing some advocacy and, and that stuff just, it's, it's so much easier just, to, you know, like be yourself and tell your actual story about how you feel and be surrounded by people who really understand, you know, it's, it's yeah. huge. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you listen to the podcast, you know how many of the guests have dealt with mental health challenges along with sleep apnea. I have struggled with anxiety and depression for years and have found therapy so helpful in my journey. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. So you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. Visit betterhelp.com slash Emma. That's betterhelp.com slash Emma and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. There's a special offer for Sleep Apnea Stories listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Emma. So Matt, tell me about how you were impacted by the Phillips recall. So, um, Thank you for asking. I think this is really an important topic for the sleep community in general because um, I, I, I found out that my, my sleep device was impacted, not from Philips itself, not from my sleep doctor. Later, I was contacted by my sleep doctor, but um, first through social media. And so I, I checked my device was one of the ones subject to recall. And then I was faced with the decision of, you know, at first the, the advice was to discontinue use. But if I were to do that, that would have basically compromised my, my health even more. Yeah. Um, so I, I reached out to my doctor and she said, I realize that's what, um, what, what they're saying, but I'm going to encourage you to continue to use your device. Um, I will put you on, you know, your uh, high needs in terms of this is something that's really important. We have to get you safe. Um, and so she kind of did some finagling and I think influenced uh, my, my local distributor and, but it took a while. Even after she was pushing for it, it was a full two months before I was able to get a replacement device. Um, wow. But it, it was it was scary, and to the communication from the industry on that was something that I really hope that from a, a national perspective they look at. How are you going to communicate about these recalls? Yeah. And you know, from what I've read recently, there there was a lot of hiccups along the way. Yeah. And we need to redefine what that process looks like. Yeah. To, to and I think a lot of um, people that I've talked to who have been impacted um, just like, you know, the communication was just very um, spotty. Like some people were like, yeah, yeah, I got in touch. You know, it took a while, like you're saying, but, you know, they had their replacement within a few months. Other people just couldn't get any information. Um, you know, they didn't really get that much information from their doctor and they certainly didn't get any information from Phillips beyond just what was on the website. So I think I, I really hope in the future we'll see a more thorough process where there's no room for error and everybody is notified like immediately because yeah, there was I, definitely problems with it. 
I agree. And, and especially the disruptive nature of the announcement, um, there needed to be a clear message yes. both to address the, the, the legitimate concerns, but also help reduce, you know, panic. Um, yeah. and, and I think that was when you're sending out messages like that, telling people to stop using their device when that device could be preventing them from, you know, developing diabetes or preventing yes. them from, you know, not breathing, which yes. death is a consequence of not breathing. Um, and so it's, it's essential that, that those messages are communicated thoroughly. And I think, and I think what out. a lot of people, well, what really confused me was this big red line between ventilators and CPAP machines. Well, to me, like, a like PAP therapy is opening your airway and keeping it open at night. And so to me, that is on the same level as the ventilator. Like it doesn't make, I didn't really see the, the big difference between those. Yeah, I, and, and again, it's the, the messages were so ambiguous and the communication so sparse, um, you know, it just leads to questions like that. Yeah, and for sure. People, people were left confused and um, particularly folks in, that, that I know that have narcolepsy and sleep apnea like, what do I do? I need this device to sleep, yeah. but now they're telling me this is not safe. What if I ingested it? Is this going to cause me problems down the road? I think th those are all, all questions that, that could have been addressed more proactively. Um, so, you know, what I wanted to finish up with was just, um, have there been any silver linings to your journey with narcolepsy and sleep apnea? Yes. Like, has anything um, good come out of it? Yeah. So I, I think the a lot of good has come out of it. You know, it, it, I never would have thought going into it that about the emotional growth that could have taken place. You know, I have, I've prioritized personal counseling. So, you know, seeing a therapist Same. at least twice a month, um, I, the, the, the amount of introspection that's taken place. Um, I got a chance to spend the first eight months at home with my son. Um, and while that was incredibly difficult during that, during that time in my life, it also was made possible because I, I had this sleep disorder. So I got to, to spend time with my son and, and grow with him. I got to be an assistant soccer coach for my kids team, um, taking the, the, the head coach reins a few times. Um, I got to be involved in their lives because I chose to, but in a large part because narcolepsy put me in a position where, you know, I, I needed to, to focus. So I've, you know, I was able to find somebody who supported me um, and that in and of itself has, has opened so many doors. It's, it's empowered me. And by and large, my, my support network is from the sleep community. Mm -hmm. So it's people like yourself. It's people like Julie. There's so many people that I could name. I know I don't want to start naming because it would do, do a disservice to somebody. But um, It's like an know, Oscar just, speech. You're well, kind of like, really oh, I'm missing someone. <laughs> there, and there, there would be so many people I would miss. But they're the folks who I connect with every day. Um, and when I now, I now know that my struggle and frustration was worthwhile because I, I people are able to benefit from those struggles. Yes. So at first it was, I just want one person to learn from my mistakes or to, to gain something from my story. And what I've realized is I was selling myself way short because you can reach so many people now yes. through social media. I have people reach out to me on a weekly basis, sometimes daily basis to, to say, Hey, you helped me with this. You know, I, I appreciate that. And there's nothing that like, there's oh. nothing in the world that feels better than that. No, well, it's, yeah, I've, I had a positive influence on someone else's trajectory and it may have been during a particularly rough time. Um, that's one of the beautiful things about where we are today. You know, when I was diagnosed in 07, social media was in its infancy. There weren't a lot of answers available. Yeah. Now you've got a number of advocacy organizations all pushing forward, um, you know, their, their own unique programmings. Um, and you can find people and connect, you know, you, you don't have to live alone. You know, that yeah. narcolepsy, not alone that, that Julie started um, as a hashtag. It's so true, even with sleep disorders, we're not, alone. we don't exist in bubbles. We yeah. have people who, who, who have may not have walked in your shoes, but they, they, they can walk this journey with you. Yes. And that's, that's huge when you struggle during a bad day. Yeah, it's huge. Um, do you want to tell people about what you're doing in Nashville? Yes, I would love to. So okay. in Nashville on August 13th, um, we're having an event um, featuring um, two physicians, uh, Dr. Aletha Simpson 
um, and Dr. Beth Ann Mallow, um, along with Julie um, and Julie Flygar from Julie Flygar from Project Sleep, and Diana Anderson from uh, she's a, a physician's assistant um, out in Knoxville, who also is a Rising Voices graduate. Um, and we, we started to plan this back in 2020. We had a couple of delays, obviously doing due to the, the yeah. landscape of uh, uh, of the globe. Yeah, of COVID. It, slowed it down but to, to project sleep and julie's credit it was always on the radar and so i got so tickled when, when we talked earlier this year and it was we're doing this here's the date um and so it's going to be a chance it's innovations in narcolepsy um advocacy and so we're going to be basically discussing the, the patient experience there's going to be a lot of different angles that we're taking um me as a dad i sit in a unique position to offer some 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 dad perspectives on life um We've got an, an incredible group that's going to be able to, to really communicate the message. This is, um, from what I understand, Project's first in-person event, you know, quite like this. And so, um, and, and to be in my hometown, I, it, it, I, I'm got goosebumps right now because I, and there will be tears. Like, I'm going to cry yeah. during my presentation because it's going to be a chance to share um, in front of some doctors who have either are I'm currently seeing or have seen it's going to be a chance to share in front of my, my, my peers here in Nashville um, and, and in front of my family. And so it's, it's going to be an emotional time, but it's going to be such a great chance. Um, one of those once in a lifetime, you know, or at least first in a lifetime yeah. experiences. I, so, I will so go ahead and put the link to that event in my show notes. And then people listening to this, if they're in Nashville or nearby, they can come yeah. and take part i really want to come yeah i i i hope you can make it i understand that it's um there's so many hurdles (laughs) it is it is well i've had a few people reach out and they're like should you know should i come and i'm like if you can of course you know we'd love to show you some southern i would love to but i kind of said to my husband i think sometimes i think that the united states is a lot smaller than it is and I'm like, I mean, it's in Nashville. That's kind of near here. My husband's like, that's not that close to North Florida. Nope, it's not. No. <laughs> it's it's a, yeah, it's a, it's an adventure. Um, it's it's a trip, and, and there's so many. You know, you, you know, when you're a dad or you're a mom, you got to figure out about what that looks like for you, how to yeah. how to make that travel possible. And so, if you can, great. Um, and, and if other people are thinking about coming, feel free to come. It'll be a great experience. But yeah. at the same time. If you try to go to everything, you will not be able to go to anything because you're right. burning yourself out. Exactly. That's kind of slightly where I'm at, I think. I think like two conferences already this year is like it takes me a while to bounce back. And I'm sure. kind of like, oh, don't know how much more I can do, but I would love to be there. So we'll see. But um, thank you so much for joining me, Matt. I really appreciate all your time. Thank you so much, Emma. I really appreciate you having me. It's an honor. Thanks so much for listening. I love hearing from you. If you'd like to be featured in an upcoming episode, please email me at sleepapneastories at gmail.com. That's also the place to get in touch if you just want to say hi or ask a question. Alternatively, you can always reach me on Instagram. My handle there is at sleepapneastories. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. This really helps a wider audience to find the episodes and I really appreciate it.